Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today is study number 5 in Daniel chapter 1. And we're going to begin reading in Daniel 1, verse 3. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, and of the king's seed, and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge, and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, in whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat, and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were... Of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. I'll stop reading there. Now, as we've seen, this is taking place at a time when Judah has been overcome by the Babylonians and King Nebuchadnezzar, and King Nebuchadnezzar has taken some of the people of Judah captive. And here, specifically, the king is given the master of his eunuch's instructions concerning certain of the children of Israel, of the king's seed, of the princes. And we saw in our last study or two, how uh, th- that um, relates or points to God's elect. Each one of those phrases as we're of spiritual Israel, we are of the king's seed, and we are of the princes because we're of the royal family of God. And then in verse 4, children in whom was no blemish, and but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and so on. In our last study, we were looking at uh, the the first part of this verse that uh, that the king wanted the master of his eunuchs to bring these children of Israel and of the king's seed and the princes and children in whom was no blemish, and we saw how that applies or or identifies with the elect also, especially in Ephesians 5, where God is speaking of the marriage relationship between a husband and wife and likens it 
to the spiritual marriage between Christ and his church. And then speaking of the eternal church, which consists only of those that are saved, we read in Ephesians 5, verse 26 and 27, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And we saw that in the Bible, to be without blemish means you are perfect. You do not have that spot or blot or wrinkle or any such thing. And and to be without blemish points to being without sin and and being without any fault before God. One is perfect before God if they are without blemish. Now, the the world, uh, the the people of the world, and and Babylon is a representation of the kingdom of Satan of this world. And so the king desired uh, children in whom was no blemish, just like in one way, in one sense, the world desires to put forth those that are without blemish and and that's why the world's advertisements the the uh, actors and and actresses for the most part the 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 picture the world wants to present is of someone with the whitest teeth and the purest skin and there's no fault in them physically and why would the world want to do that? Well, they they want to present that which is without blemish because that identifies with perfection that man once had in the Garden of Eden when man was first created. Adam and Eve were perfect without sin, no blemish of any kind. They were perfect in beauty. We read in Ezekiel 28, until Iniquity was found in them. And so the world, always seeking after this perfect physical presentation, this this putting forth of the young, because the young, uh, their bodies have not begun to see corruption as much as the elderly. When people get older, what happens? More blemishes appear in their skin in their features and so forth. And, and so the, the young are put forth. They're painted with makeup. Their, their teeth are whitened. Everything is to give the appearance of perfection. Perfection in weight. Perfection in appearance. In everything. And it's a form of denial that there was any sin. Look, we're perfect. We're perfect in body. Nothing happened in the Garden of Eden. There, there was no imperfection that entered into the world. And of course, it's not true for a second, but that is the lie that the world is often caught up in with attempting to themselves be without blemish. It's really 
probably the deep down reason behind cosmetic surgery and and people who who want to maintain that youthful appearance and and they want themselves to be without spot or wrinkle or any such thing without blemish and yet it's not possible with the physical body due to corruption until God redeems the physical body through the resurrection and he'll only do that for his elect but it is possible for God's elect people the bride of Christ spiritually in their soul existence they have been made new and perfect and holy and there is no blemish of any kind no sin of any kind at all uh, upon them and and so the king of babylon in giving instructions to seek children in whom was no blemish is again targeting god's elect go after god's elect even out in the world in in the world outside of the churches he wants to find god's elect and that's why it goes on to say here in verse four but well favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and each one of these statements relates and focuses in on god's elect who is well favored but the child of god favored by the great king god himself that's what grace is when uh, king ahasuerus put forth his scepter towards esther she found favor in the king's sight and did not die and was able to enter into the presence of the king when he could have had her killed for for daring to do so esther is a picture of god's elect that find grace and favor in the sight of the lord and and so god's people are well favored this is a particular trait of the child of god and and satan knows it and and here the king of babylon is picturing him and giving these certain instructions to the master of the eunuchs to bring forth children with no blemish pointing to god's elect that are well favored pointing also to god's elect and skillful in all wisdom now the word the hebrew word translated as skillful is strong's number 7919 and it's the word that we find in daniel 11 in verse 33 and 35 it's translated as understand or understanding in daniel 11:33 and they that understand among the people shall instruct many and in verse 35 and some of them of understanding shall fall understand and understanding are here pointing to god's people and and this is the same hebrew word translated as skillful in daniel 12 it's translated as wise in verse 3 and they that be wise or skillful 
shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. And also in verse 10, it's translated as wise, many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. The skillful shall understand. And what are they skillful in? According to Daniel 1.4, skillful in all wisdom. And this is referring to the wisdom of God, the, the knowledge of the truth of the word of God. Who is skillful or understanding or wise in the things of God, in the things of the word of God, the Bible, other than the child of God, other than the one that God has adopted into his own family, the one that God has translated from darkness to light, other than the one that God has given ears to hear and to understand and to possess wisdom that is Christ himself indwelling them. They are skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge. It goes on to say, now, the Hebrew word, 3045 in Strong's Concordance, is used many times, and that's the word translated as cunning here, cunning in knowledge, and it's used many times as know or knowing. It's it's a word that means to know. And it's also translated as discerneth in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 5. Whoso keepeth a commandment shall feel no evil thing, and a wise man's heart discerneth or knoweth both time and judgment. Or, according to Daniel 1.4, we, we could substitute cunning. A wise man's heart is cunning in both time and judgment. And likewise, uh, we, we can bring discerning or knowing back to Daniel 1.4. And, and the king wants um, children that are discerning in knowledge. Discerning in knowledge. And again, it's the knowledge of God. It's the knowledge of the things of God, the scripture, the Bible itself. We, we can clearly see with each one of these statements, and especially as these statements are um, one on top of the other, that, that they can only apply to someone that God has saved. And, and that is because Satan is after them. Satan is targeting God's people even after they've come out of the church and they're in Babylon, they're in the world, and and yet the, the king of Babylon is still looking for them. He came against the camp of the saints and God gave him victory over the saints within the churches and congregations. Satan overran the corporate church he took his seat as the man of sin, 
in the temple showing himself that that he was God, but he is fully aware of what was transpiring, what was taking place of of God opening the scriptures at the time of the great tribulation and of the call that went forth from the the people of God outside of the churches to all those within showing that the Bible was teaching you must come out. You have to depart out of the midst, flee to the mountains. We, we, we don't think that Satan was ignorant of those things, do we? Uh, of course, Satan was fully aware of family radio and of a man like Mr. Camping that had, by God's grace, the ability to reach the whole world practically through the electronic medium of radio and internet and shortwave and so forth. And he knew exactly what was being taught and that there were these elect coming out of the church. It, it was his goal and desire to uh, ensnare, to trap the elect within the church as he took over the church entire and the Spirit of God left, it was just a tremendous thing for Satan if only he could continue to deceive the people within the churches and deceive the families of children within the churches. And he knew that without God's Spirit, none could be saved. So therefore, it was very important to keep the people within the church and not let them go out of the church where God was beginning to work again after 1994, September, and beginning to save. And, And therefore, Satan did his utmost, his best to maintain membership in the congregations. He he stirred up his emissaries to begin pronouncing bulls and edicts against the faithful teaching of Mr. Camping and, and against those that were teaching the church age was over and against any that would seek to leave the church. He He tried to intimidate them to make it a fearful thing. You'll lose your membership and and he he tried to use the erroneous teaching, the false doctrine that had crept into the minds of the church over the course of the church age, that the church was the pillar and ground of the truth, that they possessed the keys of knowledge, that whatever whatsoever they loosed would be loosed concerning salvation, and whatsoever they bound would remain bound concerning those that would not be saved. That was the error that many churches believed and taught and instructed their congregations to believe. And so that had a grip on people. You you leave the church and you you will not have salvation. And and yet none of that was true and God had always provided for his people in such a case as this. God gave ears to hear, 
to hear the voice of the master, of the good shepherd. Others they would not hear. And they began to hear the beck and call, the voice of Christ. And who is Christ but the word of God, the truth of the word of God. They began to hear the call of the gospel, of the Bible, that was showing that the church age had come to its end and that, yes, they must get out of the church. And as it says in John 10, and in a very interesting way, notice how God speaks of being led out. In John 10, it says in verse 2, But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. Christ leads his sheep out, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And that's exactly what took place. The Lord, through the opening up of his word at the time of the end, as he said to Daniel he would do, knowledge increased, the voice of Christ was declared, it was heard by those given ears to hear, and they followed some more quickly than others, but finally at the last, all of the sheep followed Christ out of the churches and congregations of the world. And where did they go? Well, they went outside the church, but the historical parable that God uh, gave in the book of Jeremiah was that when God brings the Babylonians against Judah, that's a picture of Satan being loosed and coming against the church at the time of the end when judgment begins at the house of God and the the coming out of the church was pictured by the the people of Judah the Jews going into captivity into Babylon and 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 so the equivalent picture of a child of God in our time of the great tribulation leaving the church and we we just simply went home or maybe we found a couple of believers to fellowship with or we went to a, a fellowship group that had no church relationship or whatever however we did it that's how it worked out in actuality but spiritually it was typified it was pictured by the Jews that went into Babylonian captivity. It's pictured by Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, by these four Jewish young men, four because it points to universality, that is, all of God's elect and their experience in going out into the world at the end of the church age. 
That's what the book of Daniel is concerned with in these first few chapters. It is really a historical parable that is painting the picture of the experiences of God's elect living now in the world outside of the church. Just as the Jews had to adapt and learn to live in this foreign land, Babylon, outside of their nation of Judah. They were the outward representation of God's kingdom to the people of the world of their time, and the church was the outward representation of the kingdom of God to the people of the New Testament days. And 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 so it is a picture that we can identify with, and Satan knows that these people are within his boundaries. They're within his kingdom. The Jews have come to Babylon. He, The king Nebuchadnezzar, who is a type and figure of Satan, is fully aware that Jewish captives have been brought to Babylon, and that means that Satan is fully aware of the elect leaving the church and and going into the world. He he knows, in other words, that we stop going to the Presbyterian church and to the Lutheran and or some to the Catholic or some to the Episcopalian or some to the Congregational Church. He knows that the elect came out of the church over the course of the 23-year Great Tribulation, especially the last part of uh, 17 years and, and even more, especially when God opened the scriptures about the last 10 years or so to reveal the end of the church age, to reveal the man of sin as he had to first be revealed and to reveal Satan and his seat. And to sit means to rule. He was ruling in the church. And these people came out of the church. And that is a sign or it's an indicator of obedience to God. Because Satan desired and wanted people to stay in the church. To stay in the place where he was ruling to stay under his thumb and and where he could control them, where he knew they would remain in bondage to sin and to Satan, to himself. They would remain in darkness. They could talk about light all they want. They would remain in captivity. They can talk about Christ freeing them all they want. They would remain in the dungeon. It was a return to Egypt and it was as though Pharaoh was once again ruling over Israel. And that's where Satan wanted all of the people from the churches and congregations. And he knew and was fully aware that any staying there would not become saved or uh, if they professed to be saved, it was an indicator they weren't saved. But these people being drawn out, the, these people that were listening and 
obeying. And Satan was fully aware that the information that he had been loosed, the information he was now ruling the churches and God's spirit had left was true and correct. Therefore, he knew that the ones leaving were following the truth. They were not bowing the knee to him. They were not serving him. And in this image that was made in his likeness, the image of the beast, which the corporate church became, they they were refusing to bow down and serve him. And yet they're in Babylon. They're in Babylon. And who rules over Babylon? Satan rules over Babylon. He still felt he could get them. He could destroy them or make them worship him because all the world was worshiping the beast. It wasn't just those within the churches. As it says in Revelation 13 in verse 7, and it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Yes, we know that that he overcame the church. But then look at verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Everyone that dwells on the earth will worship him if they're unsaved. But but it, it's a verse that indicates that he had tremendous power and rule at this time of his loosing, at the time of the end of the world. And the end of the world began in 1988 in the 13,000th year of verse history when the Great Tribulation started. And, and so Satan felt he could destroy these ones that had gone into his own area of rule. They were, they weren't in the church where he would prefer they were, but they were in Babylon. And who ruled Babylon? Satan ruled Babylon for the 23 year great tribulation period, May 21, 1988 through May 21, 2011. And that's why these Instructions to the master of the eunuchs. Fine children in whom is no blemish, but well favored, skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science. Is that true of God's elect? Do we understand science? Are we as scientists? Do we possess that kind of of knowledge and wisdom? Well, let's think about this. The word science, the Hebrew word science, is only translated as science in this verse in Daniel 1 verse 4. It's found this particular word, and it's 4093 in the Hebrew of Strong's Concordance. This word is found six times in the Old Testament, it's translated four times as knowledge, one time as thought, and one time as science. And it really is a word that means knowledge. Actually, our English word science 
is derived from the Latin word scientia. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but it is the Latin word scientia. And, and that word in Latin, scientia, means knowledge. That's what it means. And, and that's very much what this Hebrew word means, knowledge. Knowledge is science. In the New Testament, we also have the word science used one time in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 20 says, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called. And I'll read verse 21 too, which some professing have heard concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. So here again in the Greek is a word translated as science. This word is um, gnosis and it's Strong's number 1108. And it also is translated the majority of times as knowledge. If you look up this word, you'll see several verses where it's translated as knowledge. And here in this verse as science. One time, just as the Hebrew word translated science, one time is most often translated knowledge. And even our English word science comes from the Latin scientia, which means knowledge. And and therefore, science is the understanding of knowledge. And who has a better understanding of knowledge? Is it the child of God? And we can even take a young child of God. Let's say the a, a little girl, six years old, a little boy, eight years old. They, they don't have, um, much schooling as yet. They're still maybe learning the initial basic instruction in math and, and reading and things like that. Yet, when it comes to understanding knowledge because God has saved them, they understand, number one, there is a God where you can find brilliant scientists that, that have uh, super high IQs and they do not understand that simple basic truth, that simple basic point of knowledge that there is a God. And because they lack understanding in that, they also fail to understand that the God of the Bible, the God who is and who has always been, he created the world through speaking and has recorded what took place in the book of Genesis and and so forth. And they would deny that. They would dismiss that. They would say it's not true. You can't believe that. And And then they would, these brilliant scientists, they, they take the name science and call themselves by it. I'm a scientist. I'm a man of knowledge. These brilliant scientists would then put forth and propose the most ridiculous 
preposterous theory imaginable of um, something coming from nothing, of big bangs and and of evolution and just uh, idiocy, foolishness, the utter ridiculous things that aren't even in the realm of possibility. It would require miracle after miracle after miracle, and there would be no power to make those miracles, no God. It would require a mind to design the world we have, and this is a fact, and we shouldn't even bother trying to suppose that it's not a fact. It is an obvious fact that the creation all around us that is intricately designed and even ourselves, as we have been designed, could not possibly have fallen into place by random chance or through any other occurrence other than an infinite God who created us and designed us and the creatures and the whole universe, the whole creation. That is the testimony of the creation itself that is denied and said not to be true and instead um, other things that are not possible are put in that in its place. And so do God's elect, even the youngest of God's elect, understand science, understand right knowledge? And the answer is yes. Far better, far better than the scientists that are at the world's renowned institutions of learning. You can forget them. They they don't even have step one in the process of right learning. They have gone off in a completely wrong way and they are a million miles away from the most basic of truths in which all learning, all knowledge, all science must be built upon. And, and so, yes, again, this it's a trait, it's a characteristic of God's elect. God's elect have no blemish. They are well favored. They are skillful in all wisdom. They are cunning in knowledge, discerning knowledge. And they understand science, true knowledge. And each one of these statements, and notice that there's, I think there's five of them. No blemishes, one, well-favored, two, skillful in wisdom, three, cunning in knowledge, four, understanding science, five. And number five points to the atonement. It would, in this case, apply to those that have received the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their sins have been covered by his atoning work, the elect. Well, then it goes on to say, and such has had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Well, the word, the Hebrew word, and I, I think it's a good thing to continually provide the Strong's numbers because uh, I wouldn't do that if we did not, E-Bible did not want you to check out what we're saying. It, it would, it would be 
a useless thing to continually give you numbers and and if you were not following up by checking them out. But in giving you the Strong's number, we're saving you a step. You don't even have to look up, uh, go and look up the word alphabetically, the L for learning. But you can go right to the back of Strong's Concordance and look at the number and you can find that word in all the different ways it's used. Well, here, learning is 5612 in the concordance and it's a word that typically is translated as book or letter and it often refers to the book or or the the word of god it it's often used to refer to um that which is written down for the word of god but it's not referring to the word of God here. This is the letter or the books or the book and the tongue of the Chaldeans. This would be the writings of the world or the writings that, that are not of God. They, they are other writings. The, does the world have writings? Does the world have its sort of scripture? Well, yes, the, the world is full of religions that have other writings. And these writings are not part of the Bible. They're not from God. They are from man. And they're writings of the world or philosophies. And there's many of those that the world has developed, designed, and put forth. And, and uh, you know, sometimes when I hear someone quoting and, and as a, child of god you know we often quote don't we 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 are trained to uh quote and and especially if you teach uh you're when you're teaching a point we teach that on the basis of a scriptural statement and so we say now the bible teaches this and then we give a verse and here is a quote you you can see the Bible teaches that here. And as a child of God, we do it all the time, and we're so familiar with that. And then when we hear someone try to give um, a, a, a quote that they believe or feel is tremendously uplifting or or just tremendous, tremendously powerful, it, it, it's something that they feel uh is is just a strong statement and you you can hear these sometimes at seminars or workshops or things like that and and the child of god is listening for the the chapter and verse where where do i find that in the bible and next thing you know it's a quote from gandhi or it's a quote from um uh, buddha or or it's a quote from uh, some famous man, uh, like a scientist, an atheist, and and you listen, and and sometimes what's said has some relationship to a scripture, but often uh, it, it's just words. It, it's just words that that do not move or motivate or encourage or strengthen the child of God. We're we're not built up or edified in any way by the words of men. 
but to the people of the world. Uh, you know, you have some people, they, they're really moved deeply by a poem or they're, they're influenced in their life by something they read in a philosophy book and, and, and they're sincere about this as they, they would tell you or friends how much it means to them that this statement made by a man and to, to the ears of one of God's elect, it's just more words of men. It, it, it's not something that would change our life in any way. We hear words of men all the time, but it's the important, the integral thing to the child of God is always the word of God, the Bible. It's what we value, what we esteem, what we uh, lift up. And, and it's only the words of this holy book, the Bible, that help us and that encourage us and strengthen us. And, and it's why we always refer to it because we desire the same help and encouragement and strength for others that we know can be uh, delivered through the word of God to them if they happen to be one of God's elect. And so we share the Bible always with a hope. Well, uh, maybe this will comfort you. Uh, maybe this will help you. And and yet uh, it's not the case with the writings of the world. The writings of the world they they might be from renowned men and women and they might be highly esteemed in the world but they are really alien they are the voice of strangers to the elect of god but here king nebuchadnezzar is giving instruction to his uh master of the eunuchs concerning these children that have all the characteristics of God's elect people that they are to be taught the learning, the letters, the books, and the tongue of the Chaldeans. They are to be indoctrinated. They are to be instructed in the things of the world. And and then the king moves on to appoint them a daily provision. Now, we we have to, I guess, be careful because even though the writings of the world do not stir or move or, or really help the child of God to any degree, hardly, um, it, when, when it comes, well, to no degree when it comes to spiritual things, yet we are in the world. We are living in the world. We're a part of the world, especially at this time in history when God has ended the church age and we have been called out of the church into the world. We didn't, we didn't go out into the world of our own accord. It's not our idea. It's not part of our plan. We, we, it's not as though we just didn't like the church or church authority or, or anything like that. And we made a determination. Well, I'm not going to church anymore. No, during the church age, that would have been rebellious. But God ended the church age. God called his people 
out of the churches, not not uh, requesting but commanding them to depart out. And therefore, God has brought us into the world. And at, at the time of the Great Tribulation, we were called, commanded to go out into the world that was under the rule of Satan, the beast who had been given special rule over the inhabitants of the earth, the unsaved people of the world. He he had also won um, this right due to his victory over mankind back in the Garden of Eden. And now, at the time of the end, God turned over the church to him for the church's destruction. But But still, the elect were in the world at the will of God. We, we had no place of refuge from the world any longer, which the church was to some degree. We, we could always go to the church where the Bible was maintained and, and taught and expect some blessing during the church age. But now we were, we were commanded to go out into the world and in this world, Satan it was reigning supreme during that 23-year Great Tribulation period. And so God's elect found themselves in a position in circumstances that were not of their own making. And it really reminds us of a couple other people in the Bible. One was Moses. Moses, who it is said in uh, Acts 7 concerning him, um, due to circumstances, he found himself in in Pharaoh's court because Pharaoh's daughter took him. It says in Acts 7.21, And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and was mighty in words and in deeds. Moses was a child of a Hebrew, a Hebrew man and woman, who, in trying to save his life, cast him into an ark of bulrushes and into the river. And then Pharaoh's daughter took him out of the river and she raised him as her own son, and he was taught the wisdom of the Egyptians. And again, the Egyptians would be a figure of the world. He became mighty in word and deed concerning the things of Egypt, in the wisdom of Egypt. That is, when a child of God, and Moses was an elect of God, when an elect finds themselves in particular circumstances that are beyond their control and they they can no longer be a part of Israel or they can no longer be a part of the church, but they are forced through circumstances to be uh, within Egypt or, or within Babylon and, and they must conduct themselves in 
that place at that time, well, what do God's people do? Moses became learned in the wisdom of Egypt and it mighty in word and deed. And, and also there's another example of Joseph. Joseph, who was sold into Egypt when he was a young man of 17 by his brothers. And it says in Genesis 39, in verse 1, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And Jehovah was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that Jehovah was with him, and that Jehovah made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. And we know that, that again, uh, circumstances beyond Joseph's control, it was not his choice to go to Egypt, but his brethren, through evil intent, sold him as a slave, and the next thing he know, he, he realizes he is called upon to perform service to Potiphar in his household. And Joseph does so now in Egypt, now in the world. There's no going back. He, he cannot. And, and so he begins to do the best job he can do while in Egypt. And he continued, even when things got worse, and through the lies told by Potiphar's wife, he was thrown into prison. And it, it says in verse 20 of Genesis 39, And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. But Jehovah was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because Jehovah was with him, and that which he did, Jehovah made it to prosper. Now we'll we'll see some similarities with the master of the eunuchs, as Daniel and his friends find favor in the sight of the master of the eunuchs, just as Joseph found favor in the eyes of the keeper of the prison. It, it's actually a pattern that God is establishing concerning his people. And yes, some of them can point to the Lord Jesus as a type and figure, but they're also a type and figure of God's people in difficult circumstances in foreign lands not at their own choosing. It, it, it is not according to their will that they find themselves in the, the nation, in the situation that they're in, but it is all due to events and circumstances outside of their control. In other words, the will of God has placed them in these situations and 
while in those situations, we'll have to look at this next time, but they're actually carrying out a biblical principle that results in their obtaining grace and favor in the eyes of God and man. And we see they're lifted up. We see that they uh, prosper. They do well. They are children of God and yet operating in the world in a way that the world cannot deny is a good and and positive way and and therefore God is glorified through them through the difficult circumstances that they find themselves in but uh, again we've come to the end of our time this afternoon lord willing we'll pick this up in our next study we'll we'll continue to look at king nebuchadnezzar who wants to teach these young men the letters and the tongue of the Chaldeans, and also he wants to change their diet. He wants them to eat his food and to drink his wine. And, of course, there's a spiritual meaning to that that we'll look at in our next Bible study. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.